welcome to episode 42 of Have a Blessed Gay, your spiritual comedy podcast, where we chat about, dissect, and question the shit out of spirituality, religion, and social issues from an outcast perspective. I am your holy host, Tyler Martin. A special shout out to the woman who bore me. It is her birthday today, so everyone send some loving thoughts to her. I hope you are having an amazing day, Mom. I love you. And let's just continue celebrating incredible women, shall we? I talked with the wonderful Rachel Myers. Rachel, along with her hubby Derek, began a little Instagram page last year called Your Favorite Heretics. It was something that began for their family and friends, a place for them to share their deconstruction journey. But when one post went viral, things shifted a little bit. They now have over 40,000 followers and have cultivated a beautiful, safe community for people deconstructing and recovering from church trauma. They aim to create content that gives language to people's experience and help them along in their healing. It's an inclusive community for all types of people dealing with the messy undoing of toxic theology, a space where all are welcome. I happen to be following them before they went viral, so I am an original fan, truly been with them since the beginning. And it's been amazing to watch them grow, and I'm just so happy to have Rachel on the podcast. We got into trauma bonding, navigating relationships as one deconstructs their faith, her journey toward coming out as asexual, evangelicalism, and finding the divinity within others. This is a great conversation, y'all. But before we get into it, I gotta read a lovely review, right? As a reminder, please do leave those reviews. It means so much to me, and it truly does help the podcast out immensely. I cannot say how much. And I'll read it on here. Today's is from Debbie Daylight. It reads, Lots of Heart. Love this podcast. Tyler, the host, is smart, fun, and has a great instinct for unearthing the heart of the conversation with his guests. Excited to find a podcast that freely explores spirituality and religion without fear or timidity. And with a comedic spin, too. Highly recommend. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Debbie. I'm glad you found it, and I am glad you are listening and along for the ride. That was very, very kind. And I look forward to reading more next episode. Now, let's get to this awesome, inspiring interview. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, the leading provider of online counseling. Y'all, the world is crazy and mental health is important. Some might even call it spiritual. I personally use BetterHelp myself and absolutely love what they're doing. BetterHelp makes professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient. So if you're struggling emotionally, battling anxiety, or you can't stop crying after an episode of Queer Eye, BetterHelp can be there for you anytime, anywhere. Go to my personal link at BetterHelp 
betterhelp.com slash blessgay to check it out and get what? 10% off. The best part is you don't even have to leave your house. They offer four ways to speak with a licensed counselor, video calls, phone calls, real-time chat, and direct messaging. All counselors have been qualified and certified by their state's professional board. In other words, you're not talking to a lobster dressed in human clothes. They're legit. All you gotta do is go to my link at betterhelp.com slash blessgay and begin the questionnaire to match you with a therapist who is uniquely qualified to serve your needs. How sexy. It's super duper easy and you're matched within 24 hours or less. BetterHelp has a monthly subscription rather than paying per session, which makes it cheaper. But if finances are still a concern, financial aid is available for those who qualify. Get counseling, improve your life, and help this podcast out in the process by going to betterhelp.com slash blessgay. Sign up today and get 10% off. That's betterhelp.com slash blessedgay. Rachel Myers, welcome to Have a Plus Gay. I'm so excited. This is like going to be a highlight for me. <laughs> the name of the podcast is just so like perfect. <laughs> I've always loved it. I've always been envious. <laughs> I really invited you on this podcast for compliments. So if you would just keep that going, <laughs> that yeah, that would be that would be fabulous. But here's the deal. I could compliment you for a very long time because I have been a fan of your work for a while now. And I want to introduce my audience to you if they do not already know you. Tell us who you are and what the hell you do. Absolutely. So I am somebody who works for advocacy for people who are coming out of really toxic religious spaces and coming to grips with what they've faced um, and feel super lost. So religious trauma victims, but at the time, a lot of people don't understand that it's religious trauma and feel very disillusioned. So we keep it very open-ended and just say we're advocates for those who just feel really jaded and lost by their time in really harmful theological spaces. And so what we do, um, me and my husband are a duo on our page. And um, basically, we just show that theology is not black and white. It's not one answer, one way to God. And you can take the Bible and look at the historical context, look at the cultural context and see the beauty of it rather than just this very rigid black and white, you know, everybody says it's not a rule book. It's a relationship to get to Jesus and know him better. And it's like, ah, but when you reduce it down to like, this is the theology and there's no room to look into alternative theories because God can't handle, you know, multiple theologies, <laughs> but you know, it, it becomes a rule book and it becomes a measuring stick to live your life by. And so we just really try and undo that and just talk about, you know, the vast differences in, in that you can find in the Bible um, in particular. And then also just like a lot of, I know we made a post about religious trauma one time and that got a lot of, you know, feedback and a lot of people resonated with it. And that's kind of how we really took off um, and, and directed our steps in that way. I was there from the beginning. <laughs> I remember that post. <laughs> it was a shock. We were not expecting it. <laughs> I bet, yeah. Well, something I love about your work is how open, how gracious you are, how giving you and Derek both are. And I would love to learn more of your history, how you got to this point. 
Was there a specific moment or incident that propelled you to begin your deconstruction journey? Absolutely. And for both of us, it's different, um, but I'll speak to mine. So for me, I was an atheist growing up, like hard, like very like fundamental atheist. Um, religion is toxic. It's bad um, because my dad was that way. Just like organized religion is the worst. And then when I turned 20, I converted. It was like one of those like really radical like conversions that, you know, people tell from the pulpit, like trigger warning, like suicidal atheist, because I had just gotten out of rehab, you know, discharged against medical advice because I was diagnosed as incurable from what I was going through. Really sad story. But um, I converted and it kind of, it helped me in that moment. And then very quickly, I was very thankful to have a, you know, mental health background where I started therapy when I was nine and literally was in therapy until I was 20, you know, so <laughs> I was very thankful to be in those spaces and understand what to look out for in terms of like abusive patterns and tactics and stuff like that. So going into the evangelical church, cause I got, I converted at a local church here in Atlanta, um, I won't name drop right now, but, um, you know, I was a part of that church. I like dug right in. I was, you know, serving, doing like every opportunity I would jump at it. And then that went on for a, a few years. And I had a mentor who, cause you know, like, why wouldn't you get a mentor? Um, I didn't even know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were like different gospels. I had no idea what the Bible was. You're like, I thought they were brothers. I thought this was another boy band. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I was like, I thought it was like a linear story. And here I am with like retellings and I just don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love so it. Bizarre. <laughs> so I had this mentor who like just loved me really well, but the more our relationship went on, the more unhealthy and codependent it became. Mm. This was in uh, the very beginning of 2015 is what started my like, as quickly as I was converted, this was like as quick as my deconstruction began. Um, she sent me like a ton of YouTube videos. Oh my gosh. It's like cringy saying on eschatology and like Jesus was coming back that year, you know, blood moons, September of 2015, which conveniently was the month that Derek and I were getting married. So like, and this woman had never like been this way in the past. And so I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. And I fell into one of my deepest despair depressions I have ever been in. So I had to dig myself out of that. And it took about two or three years. And what did that come from? You thought it was going to happen? Yeah. And I just like, God went from like loving to just terrifying for me in that moment because I had no understanding of eschatology. Shit. Right? Okay. Yeah. So like I didn't grow up with left behind. So like mm -hmm. all of this was so brand new to me, like even years in, you know, it was still just like, oh my gosh, like it's happening. It's happening. I didn't have that like altar call of Jesus coming back. Like as I was seven, you know, which is so traumatizing. We can totally get into like the child abuse of that, but you know, having that happen as an adult and, and having to go through that and unpack that and genuinely believe that and be scared of God for years, like was one of the hardest things that I walked through because I was, you know, this radically converted Christian that is now, how could I feel this way toward a God that saved me, you know, from my wretched nature? Oh my gosh, it makes me cringe. <laughs> 
but you know, I was very fortunate. I forgot to mention Derek and I met at a Bible college. So I was getting all of that information too. There we go. There we go. Okay. Um, so I actually decided to get my degree in religion and that's when like everything just started to like fall away for me. Like the fear, you know, I couldn't set foot in a church cause it was just so overwhelming for me. And then once I started studying religion from like a scholarly secular perspective and like a lot of my teachers were still Christian. It was just they were scholars, you know, it was very different mm-hmm. than a Bible college, which teaches theology. You know, you learn the history, case studies, all of that. And so that's when it was just like, oh my gosh, creationism is not real. That's not how the Bible was written. And it just showed me like how quickly I was indoctrinated, like as an adult, very, you know, swiftly did all of this come about where before I was like absolutely pro evolution, pro-science, and then just like everything went away because the Bible said. And the more I went down my religion degree and just started studying more, I just realized like either everybody's lying or they don't know on the pulpit Mm. or they're actively denying it, which is what I, I, you know, a lot of people do. They make up like all these conspiracy theories, you know, so And a lot of people just actively deny it. They know the history, they know the facts, they've been to seminary, but they are trained up in apologetics rather than like an ambiguous, you know, open-ended, well, this is what it is, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing. You can use it for your faith or, you know, it can challenge your faith. It's, you know, one way or another. Um, So that's kind of like how my deconstruction was. I always say it was rapture, fear, bad reading of revelation. And I actually ended up taking a class um, at my university on apocalyptic literature and how to write a 10 page paper on the historical context and symbols of revelation. Love. I'm now no longer afraid, (laughs) which thankfully education is powerful, you know? Uh, Yeah, that's why some people try to keep it away from other people. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, you know. (laughs) And getting into Christianity, especially some of the intense theology as an adult, is really fascinating to me because as kids, you know, we're told Santa Claus exists. So it's really not that far of a reach to also think that Jesus and God and all these other stories are real from the Bible. And really, whether there is truth in them or not is kind of irrelevant. But as as children, we can easily believe these things because we are also fed all these other grand fantasy-like stories anyway. But as an adult entering into it, it's just, it's very fascinating to me. It really, like when I looked back, like now, it just feels like a, like a fog, like a bad dream of like experiencing so much self-hatred, like far beyond what I experienced in my adolescent years, just like full disclosure, again, another trigger warning. Um, I did have an eating disorder from 12 until 20, and that's what had me in and out of rehab. And I didn't loathe myself as much as I did in a reformed version of Christianity. And that like was how severe it was because you know, and I say like now looking back, like I absolutely trauma bonded to this form of Christianity that offered solutions, but was just more of that chaotic self-hatred that you feel, you know, going through life. And they tell you you're broken, you're broken, you're broken. And, you know, at a certain point, it's just confirmation bias. Like, oh yeah, I already feel this way. 
So it must be true, you know? Whew, oh my gosh. All right, so many things here. First, I want to ask you, though, to explain to everyone what trauma bonding is. I actually have not talked about that term on here before, so I would love for you to explain what that means exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So basically what it is, let me also look it up because I'm not a psychologist and I want to make sure that I don't give any misinformation and I say it correctly. Wait, what? Someone willing to say they might not know something? I am so <laughs> taken aback right now. Is everyone taking notes? My gosh. Um, okay, so it's um, emotional bonds with an individual or in my case, I kind of relate it to an organization institution. Mm hmm arise from a recurring cyclical pattern of abuse perpetuated by intermittent reinforcement through rewards and punishments. Basically, it's like getting in this really chaotic cycle of like coming to expect like chaos. So like either reward for your behavior or punishment for your behavior. There's no neutral. And it's like this constant seeking of favor and attention. And it's not just existing it's constantly doing something for a result because if you don't then you'll be punished but yeah so it's just like basically bonding through things within trauma and traumatic cycles that keep you stuck within it because it's very very hard to walk away when you're expecting a punishment or a reward and it's just like a carrot on a stick you know and I feel like that's very much the evangelical Christian God, you know, that they have painted out to be. 100%. But good news and spoiler alert, everyone, you did get out. Mm -hmm. And I would love to learn what led you to talk about it publicly and to take it to social media, especially if you did not think it would have as big of an impact as it has had. I am <laughs> very curious why you chose that route. So I think... You know, for me, it was a lot of people were asking questions. I had been quiet about my journey for a really long time because I just didn't trust anyone around me because my community around me was still very, very much evangelical. And so mm. I couldn't discuss things. You know, I couldn't talk about what I was struggling with because it was just the same answers that weren't working. We all know them, you know, like just rely on God more, keep pressing through. This is your Exodus period. God will deliver you from this, you know, dry season. And I'm like, this is not a dry season. This has been a dry, like entire time. Like, I don't know what you're talking about dry season. And if a God is going to make me like intentionally suffer for years and years and years, just to like, then pull me back to him. Like, oh my gosh, that's the advice you're giving me. Just hang on you know, trauma bonding. Yeah, and so, spiritual bypassing. Yeah. I, I just spoke about spiritual bypassing on a previous episode with Joe Lumen. And I mean, this is what that is. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's not talk about the core of the issue. Let's just like very quickly surfacely fix it. You know, yes, 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 yes. It. Toxic positivity. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. And that was a lot of what I was experiencing. And so it just came to this point where like, I don't care. I just want to talk about our findings because Derek and I hadn't been able to talk about theology in a really long time because he was really into theology and I was really into undoing everything that I had learned. I didn't want to talk about theology. 
I just wanted to exist. I just wanted to learn the history. And I still am like a history nut when it comes to just everything in the Bible and surrounding ancient Israelite religion and stuff like that. Derek is definitely more the theology person that still reads his Bible. I no longer Christian, pretty open about that. But so for me, the Bible doesn't really matter much. So I'm much more entrenched with how everything, you know, worked and how that applies to people today, because I feel like that is freedom Mm. and that um, matters. And so part of creating this account was not so much to get big. I think it was always more for our friends and family, just to kind of like see what we were thinking, see if there was anybody else who thought the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think we got to about 500 followers and we were like, oh my gosh, this is what is happening, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, yeah, it just, it got us so excited to see people resonating with things that we were sharing. And it just, it was so cool to see stories coming in and starting to connect with a different community. It was the first time I had heard of the term exvangelical. You know, I was able to connect with atheists again, which that was really hard for me when I was in Christianity. Like I felt like I constantly needed to proselytize. And so I couldn't exist with anybody that didn't seem like me you know? And so like being out of that and just being able to connect with people through the internet was such a beautiful experience. And just hearing story after story of all of these traumatic things happening, and it just opened our eyes up more about what was going on and how much of a need there was. And so, yeah, that's when we created the, you know, religious trauma looks like, and that's kind of how it all blew up. You know, we went from like 500 followers to like 10,000 in less than a week. Wild. Yeah, it was, we were yeah. not expecting it. It was just, I remember sitting in my son's room and we were kind of like bickering over the wording, you know, cause I have dyslexia. Oh my gosh. Trying to make some content is just so <laughs> hard for me because I'll post it and I'll be like, there's another mistake, you know, like, <laughs> or like 20 people will message us. And I'm like, yes. This is a learning disability I've had since the second grade. I, you know, I've been in special needs classes. It's just, it is what it is, you know. I'm doing my best here. Yeah. I am, you know. <laughs> and so we were like bickering about the wording and just kind of like pinpointing it to where we wanted it to be um, and then posted it. And we were like, okay, like it's just going to get 50 likes or 50 likes or something like that. So let's just like move mm-hmm. on. Like, I don't want to like talk about this anymore. Let's just continue on with our content. And then like, it did not happen that way. <laughs> so, and a lot, of, but it just shows you like how even like a small account and just like a few people sharing it from our account turned into this huge, you know, I think it got shared on Facebook over like a hundred thousand times. It got liked on our small little Instagram at the time, like 20,000 times. Like it just, it showed us like how much people resonated with feeling seen, whether they were still Christian or not Christian that's when we realized like how much of a space needs to be held for people who feel like this, you know, because I'm a huge believer in the EFT emotion focused therapy um, type of psychology. And I just feel like a lot of people try and fix feelings. And I feel like that is not necessarily the answer Mm -hmm. Um, for a lot of people, you know, you have to be seen, validated, heard. You have to not try and make sense of nonsensical emotions, you know, and that's what the church boxes you in is 
they try and make you make sense of everything. Everything is God's plan. Everything is God's punishment. Everything is this, Satan testing you. And so to just like get out of that and simply exist with your emotions is a very scary thing. You know, we don't need to turn to another form of like fundamentalism. And I feel like validation and listening and affirming one another, because that's more what the community about is now. It's not me and Derek. It's us listening and seeing a need and creating content out of what we're mm-hmm. hearing um, a lot of the time. So, mm. and I also don't think you have to be in religion or to have been in religion to have experienced religious trauma. Oh, absolutely. That's a great point. Our whole country is just seeped in religion, but even more than that, it is seeped in Christian privilege. Absolutely. And that affects everyone, whether you are Christian or not. Absolutely. But focusing on your Instagram page, since you made it for family and friends, I'm curious. How do they take it? Have you lost any family and friends as you've been going through this deconstruction journey? Yes. <laughs> um, so we are pretty much no contact with somebody on Derek's side of the family, Christian nationalist, Trump still president to their core. Oof. Yeah, it's rough. Um, and we more set those boundaries, but you know, starting to post more online, anything, it would just be more and more people would start messaging us, thinking about you, let's get together, get coffee, you know, like the, oh my gosh, those things. But yeah, like one of my best friends, and this is something that still I have to, I think I've worked through it. I've not forgiven her because I don't think it's forgivable and I don't need to forgive her to heal. But yeah, I cut off contact with her because when everything was happening last year um, with the BLM movement, she basically was very hurtful and very, very racist in her you know, beliefs about it. And so I had already started separating myself from her, but um, we like went to Bible college together, shared a bunk together. So it was like, we were longtime friends and we had never really had these conversations. And now that I was changing publicly a lot, we were having more of them. And so I cut her off pretty much. And she sent me a 12 page paper. Um, She has two kids. Like that's, that's crazy. Um, but she sent me a 12 page paper saying that I was never saved. Here's why all of your theology is wrong. She goes to John MacArthur. Well, she doesn't go to John MacArthur's church, but she loves John MacArthur. If that gives you like any idea. Um, and basically said that I was whipped around by the waves and I was the seed that sprouted up quickly and was choked out. And that if I ever wanted to talk to her in the future, that she will never tell me that she told me so, but she will always be here, but that she can no longer associate with me. And I was like, oh my gosh, trauma on trauma on trauma. That was the hardest probably letter I've received in my deconstruction, you know? So it was a lot. (laughs) That is a lot. And something important for people to remember that might be going through similar situations is that Trauma creates trauma. And although I 
totally agree it is not forgivable. It is something to recognize that people get stuck in a cycle of trauma and that is probably why they're being so damn hateful. But challenging that is super difficult because it challenges their beliefs. Even for female identifying people who are in an organization like an evangelical church that is so anti-women, they will still stand by it because of that trauma and self-hate. I were to submit more, everything would have been okay, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would not be talking right now if you had just submitted, <laughs> damn it. Right? <laughs> a woman and a gay guy talking about religion? What is happening? It ruined everything. <laughs> so there's this um, book, oh my gosh, I cannot remember the name right now, um, but I had to read it for my degree, and it was an ethnography on women in submissive spaces and how they felt empowered and like overjoyed to like admit their submissiveness because they felt like it was a servanthood to God. And so it's almost like this disassociation of self where you have to deny your womanhood and the empowerment that it brings because you're so convinced that this is the order that God gave. And so you're glorifying him. It's like a really, really difficult you know, and it, you just don't move beyond that, you know, a lot of the time when you are okay with that submissive role. And I, you know, to each their own, but that's just not what works for me, you know? No, it is not. And I think this is a really awesome segue to go ahead and talk about your relationship, but specifically right now, your sexuality. You recently came out as asexual, which I think is really awesome. And I would just love to hear about your your coming out experience what that was like and 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 how everything is going now yeah so it's like really funny because a married woman with children obviously can't be asexual um so like honestly claiming it took a long time because a lot of people and a lot of stigma around asexuality there is that disconnect of well you're interested in somebody or you've obviously had sex, you have children, you know, and it's like, well, it's not that black and white, but, um, Mm -hmm. so I started officially taking that label. I think it was September of last year, but I have struggled with being comfortable, um, having partners, sexual partners for a very long time. And it's something that really, really affected Derek and I's marriage. And one of the reasons that I started therapy, I thought I had just like, you know, sexual trauma from the past and I had to heal. Um, But what I was finding more and more is it was just, it wasn't sexual trauma, even though like as a woman, I have faced it. It was just the fact that I, in hindsight, have never really been interested. It was more what was expected of me. And so I would just do it because I thought that, you know, someone would break up with me or, you know, talk about like, patriarchy man Mm -hmm. oh my gosh um so yeah I officially took the label September of last year I would say and it was such an empowering thing for me because I remember researching it and just like I was crying so hard because I I was like this is what I've been missing this is the language that I've needed to explain how I feel for so long but I never looked into it because I'm married Mm -hmm. and I have kids and I've had sex you know And so to take that, I was really 
afraid that it was going to be invalidated. I wasn't afraid of, you know, people disagreeing as much as being like, oh, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think like it's for me, I really, really value education. And so it, I decided very quickly to turn around and um, share the label with everyone and share, you know, this is what I feel defines my sexual experience. And it was a moment of, you know, having other people feel seen because other married women, my inbox was full of like, oh my God, is this what I'm experiencing? I just am not. And men too, because people don't know that aromantic and asexual is different, you know, romantic attraction and sexual attraction are very different or that you can have sex and even enjoy sex and be asexual because it's not about pleasure per se, as it is about just not being sexually attracted to somebody. And it's just such a spectrum and I love it. And I love that there's so much room for a lot of people to feel seen underneath the asexual label. I call it a label. I hope that's not offensive. That's just something that has really helped me identify what I'm going through to call it a label because I know that they can be limiting. Um, and also I know that even the terms like bisexual and gay and lesbian are also limiting, you know, because how do you explain a very human experience through little words, you know, and how do you encompass how you feel and the fullness of your sexuality with a label? Yeah. And this bizarre pressure to keep the same label that we start with, like yes. we don't have to, we can change labels. Right. And that's, I think that's like such a beautiful point because I think a lot of people who come to terms with, you know, maybe I am attracted to women, maybe I am attracted to men later in life will deny themselves because they've felt heterosexual their whole life. And they may very well have been heterosexual their whole life. Again, like how do you explain the human experience by mere labels, you know? Um, so I really, I think that they're useful, but I also think that they're very limiting. And so that's why I like to call asexuality a label is because it is so vast to explain the experience that you're going through <laughs> um, or the experience that you feel inside that you relate to it on. So for me, like that was that journey of being able to validate myself enough to come to terms with not fitting the mold of never having sex with what you would think of any sexual being single. So yeah, it was super empowering. <laughs> and how has that been in your relationship? I'm sure there was a ton of discussion before you came out publicly. Yeah. What has that been like for you and Derek? So I am like the luckiest girl in the world. I feel so like annoying saying that, but Derek bought me, went on Etsy and bought me an ACE sticker the first Aww. week that I came out to him. Cause I was like crying and I was like, Derek, this is it. Like, I feel so seen. And it has been like nothing but support from him and finding alternatives for us and having conversations and having boundaries that he respects and has like never pushed. And it's just, you know, I, hope that that is the experience of a lot of ace people that come out unfortunately I don't think that is but I feel like I've been very very lucky to have somebody so understanding so in my corner to be able to experience this with me and like still choose me over you know his expectations deconstructing the idea that like partners are for sex you know because that's 
what evangelicalism tells you, you know? And so there's this pressure to like have sex all the time. But for me, unfortunately, fortunately, I will say, trying to like be okay with it, but I definitely fall on the sex repulse side, side of ACE. So that's been, you know, obviously a very big conversation of needs and, you know, me setting my boundaries when I'm not comfortable. And I think as long as we're honest with one another, it goes really well. And if we try and like wall up, then it becomes really hurtful. Uh, but I think, I think it's that way with anything, you know? Well, I think that's a beautiful message of consent. Just because you are in a relationship, just because you get married does not mean that you don't have consent anymore of course you do you have the right to say yes and no and i think that's a a really great message about that but i'm i'm so happy about you and derek and and good for him for being there for you and supporting you honestly we are so thankful we're we have this marriage therapist who like honors everything um he's so cool he's a polyamorous trans man we are very thankful to have a therapist that does talk a lot about consent in our relationship and what that looks like navigating that and and honoring those boundaries within marriage because a lot of people don't think that you have boundaries in marriage and it's just like oh when the husband says go it's go which oh my gosh is like awful how do you it's know so gross uh, how do you get married and then just suddenly not have autonomy over your own body? You know, like that is, I don't understand that part of purity culture. Never will, you know? Because <laughs> it doesn't make sense. That's why. <laughs> it, doesn't. it creates so much conflict, even like the healthiest marriages. Like if, yeah, oof, oof, I'll stop there. <laughs> well, and I applaud you both for going to therapy you're putting in the time doing the damn work you know i think there's a lot of stigma surrounding therapy for couples thinking that it's almost a failure that you're not being able to figure it out yourselves but sometimes you just need a moderator you need to create a safe space for each other to openly voice feelings and concerns and wants and desires because it really takes like the emotions and the charged parts out of it and it just brings it down to again, like, is this healthy for us or will it be harmful to us? And to get an opinion on a professional, I think is absolutely vital, you know, and he has just been like the best human. Um, so we're very, very thankful, but yeah, I love marriage therapy. We like didn't go for a super long time because Jesus, you know, Jesus will be our therapist. Exactly. Oh my God. It's so bad. Um, but you know, once we like really did take that leap and understanding that like, okay, this is not just like a spiritual attack. This is like our trauma rubbing up on trauma and we need, we need help. I love that. Well, you yourself right here, right now, where are you spiritually? A lot of people think that atheists are not spiritual at all, but a lot of atheists would actually use the word spiritual. So I'm curious if you do use that word, what it means to you and and what you're feeling these days. So for me, I don't know if I necessarily don't believe in God. It's just so ambiguous that I don't care. I don't care if there's a God that exists. I don't care who he is necessarily. I, and I guess the term would be secular humanist, but I basically just see divinity in everyone. 
Mm-hmm. So we of humans have the power to sit down with one another for an hour a week and create entire new pathways in our brain just through talking and validation. That's the power of humanity. We have the power to change the world. Oh my gosh, so cliche and lame, but like genuinely, yeah. like that is the power that is within humanity. And when we cheapen that and we reduce it to whatever it may be, defining that for me just was limiting. And I saw people as projects and as goals and as not having this inherent worth because I was had the right answers and you just needed to be saved, you know? Oh God. Um, but now it's just such a different turn where it's like, okay, I disagree with you. And I think that you're a terrible human, but there's still divine worth in you. And I hope that you work that out, you know, like yes. you humanize other humans, which also have intrinsic value. And that is very sad. Um, so yeah, I guess my view, my spiritual view now is just the law of love and not necessarily worrying about what's in the cosmos, but more just worrying about what's in front of me. I completely agree. And I do not care how cheesy it is. I, I think that is, is so true and really beautiful. Rachel, where can people find you, your work, and keep up with all the incredible things that you're doing. So we are at Your Favorite Heretics on Instagram. Um, we also are more active um, in our Facebook community discussion, which is called Your Favorite Heretics Community Discussion. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I wow. know, so creative. <laughs> and so that's where a lot of community and conversation and questions and relatability happens. Like we love our Instagram, but there is just something so special about our community group that we try and keep sacred and safe. And yeah, we have really, really great admins that really clean up the comments if they get messy or we approve posts. Like it is a very, very safe community. So yeah, those are the two main places for sure. For anyone who feels stuck in a community, in a place where they're not being uplifted or affirmed, you know, we have the internet now. I I was one of the first generations to be raised with a computer and I was able to go Google stuff. And we have such an expansive resource now and the ability to connect with people all over the world. So if you are in a situation where you are needing a, a good, uplifting community. This is an amazing resource. You don't have to feel so alone. Just go on your computer, search things, find people, and 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 create a, a, a good, safe space for yourself. Yeah. I, I love what you said, though. Like, I feel like education has been a threat to modern-day Christianity, and I love it because it is taking the abusive structures of control and manipulation of having the word of God and the right interpretation and just turning it on its head and being like, yo, this is such a lie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this we is were bullshit. So dated. Like, <laughs> like, so I love that you say that because it is like this generation is going to change the world. And I have literally no doubt about it. Rachel, this has been so wonderful having you on the podcast. Like I said, I have been a fan from the beginning and will continue to be a fan. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your time, your inspiration and 
all the things that you're doing out there in the world. Well, thank you so much. I loved being on and I'm so glad we made this happen. And thank you so much. The conversation was just enriching and I hope that it helps anybody listening. Wow, 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 wow. Such a wonderful combo with many incredible moments. Here are my main takeaways. Number one, trauma bonding is a psychological response to abuse. It occurs when the abused person forms an unhealthy bond with the person, persons, or organization that abuses them. This is super common in religions. Number two, if they say I'm broken, it must be true, right? Uh, no, that is a bullshit. There's no such thing as a broken person. Fuck that ideology. Number three, you don't have to be in a religion or to have been in one to experience religious trauma. Number four, in or out of a relationship, everyone has the right to say yes or no. Don't ever feel pressure to perform. Consent is where it's at. Number five, we don't need to worry more about what's out in the cosmos than what is right in front of us. Number six, we are all divine. Thank you for listening, y'all. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find the info for Rachel in the show notes. Please rate, leave a review, follow on social media at Have a Blessed Gate on all the platforms. And as always, feel free to reach out to me. I love hearing from you. Now, if you are having a hard time and cannot laugh it off, I always post helplines in the show notes. So if you need to, please don't hesitate to check those out. Just remember this, you are special, you are purposeful, and you are fucking beautiful. Have a blessed day, y'all.